Good morning, everyone. If I've not met you yet, my name is Brian Simmons, and I've been blessed to be the preacher here at Oakcrest ever since the 1st of May. I know we have a few new faces with us at worship this morning, so I hope you'll take the opportunity to meet some folks that you might not yet have met. And uh, if I've not met you, make an effort uh, to meet me and get to know me. And uh, because I've only been here since the 1st of May, you don't know everything about you, but I'm feeling comfortable enough to admit something to you this morning. I don't do dead things, right? So, for example, there was a dead bird that somehow landed in our yard a couple of weeks ago, and I said, Sharon, dead bird, <laughs> out by the fence, can you go ahead and take care of that? And so, sure enough, she did. Now, I, I'm happy to kind of take care of things that are living. Like, we found a copperhead snake in our yard last summer, just kind of sunning itself on a rock. And so I was more than happy to use uh, the shovel that God blessed me with to address that issue. Uh, and when I was there, we had uh, five little individual snakes, or parts of a snake. But I, I don't do dead things. I just don't. I, I don't like handling dead things. I don't like, I'm happy to kill spiders. I'm happy to, you know, uh, release salamanders and lizards that get into our garage. I'm fine with that. But if it's dead, I'm out of here. Nehemiah would hate me. <laughs> You know that Nehemiah of the Old Testament, the one whose book of the Old Testament bears his name? He would hate me. I want to share a passage with you that you may never have read in your life. It's from Nehemiah chapter 3. Quick background. God's people had been forcibly deported away from the land in which they had known. They had grown up. They had made their homes. They had made their life. But they were pushed away about 300 miles, and they had spent decades there. Well, as Nehemiah opens... Uh, some of those people begin to come back to what we now call Israel, and they're making their way in life. But the walls are crumbled down, the whole city of Jerusalem's in disrepair, and this first group of people, <clears throat> under Nehemiah's direction, sets about to begin rebuilding the walls to the city. Now, the walls are pretty important because it keeps all the bad guys out and probably keeps all the kids in, which is something you want to do, no offense to those of you who are teenagers. And so this big project begins of people building the city walls. Here's the story that we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 3. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Can I time out? Back in the day, the gates in the wall to the city all had a name, kind of like a lot of bridges have names, or at least where I come from, they do. So in Portland, Oregon, there's the Markham Bridge and the Fremont Bridge and all these other Burnside bridges and stuff. Well, these high, the high priest and these priests are busy building this wall, including the Sheep Gate. We continue. They dedicated it, and they set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hanel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, the son of Imri, built next to them. While the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasanaah, and they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, you know, the son of Uriah, you know, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Oh, and next to him, Meshulam, you know, the son of Berechiah, you know, the son of Meshazabel, well, they made repairs, and next to him were some other guys whose names we don't need to know. <laughs> Got the picture in your mind here? Now, what's remarkable to me about this is simply this observation that might have escaped you. 
The high priests and these men of Jericho are building a wall. They're doing something very, very, very different from the usual way they enacted their faith. These guys are priests. Priests didn't do manual labor. Priests didn't take hammer and tong or whatever else they had to build walls. They didn't make bricks out of mud and clay. They were priests. But not this day. Not for those days. No, instead, they became wall builders. Their faith had previously been enacted by offering sacrifices to God, leading people in worship, and offering prayers, and perhaps even counseling people. But not now. Now they were rolling up their sleeves, they're getting their hands dirty, and they are building a wall. Now don't kid yourself. It's not as if any of these people had any formal training in wall building. They didn't. It's as if I said, hey, Connie, you know what? We're going to replace the transmission in your car. Let's go. You and me. Can we do it? Connie, have you ever replaced a transmission in an automobile? Let's go. What can happen? (laughs) That's the point. The point is that in Nehemiah, everyone comes together despite the fact that they didn't have the ability or they didn't have the experience. They didn't have anything remotely connected to wall building. Yet there they are. You see, they had to stretch to enact their faith. They probably felt out of their depth. They probably felt uncertain about what they were doing. In fact, between you and me, they probably felt like Connie working on transmission. But yet there they were, working on the wall. Now that shouldn't surprise any of us. Because if you read through the Bible carefully, God has a long and illustrious record of asking people to stretch and to enact their faith in different ways than they were used to. Moses was just minding his own business, tending a flock, when God appears in a burning bush and turns him into a leader of a nation. David was simply a shepherd, not a king, but he became a king. Gideon was a farmer, not a warrior, but he became a warrior. Peter was a fisherman, not an evangelist. You get the picture. And so, as the walls went up around the city of Jerusalem, it wasn't just a testimony to God's faithfulness in bringing his people back. There's a subtle message here that says, sometimes you have to stretch in the way that you do your faith. Now, that's a very sharp contrast to how many of us are today. Because if you're like me, you tend to find what you're comfortable with, and that's what you do. So my wife and I have been deeply involved in Vacation Bible School for years Kind of our thing. In fact, I tell my students that I actually have an alter ego, another kind of personality that comes out of Vacation Bible School. In fact, I tell my students if you go online, you might be able to find it. And there's even a Facebook page dedicated to it. That's our thing. We've done that. We did a thing called a family mission trip for 27 years back in Oregon, where 10 families from the church we attended would take our vacation Bible school program to a small church of Christ somewhere in Montana or Oregon or Washington or Canada, and we'd put it on for that small, struggling congregation. That was our thing. But I was not involved in some of the other ministries that our church was a part of. I never was involved in the domestic violence ministry. 
I wasn't part of that group of people that would hustle battered women out the back door of their home as their husband came through the front door. That just wasn't my thing. just wasn't. I occasionally would help out serving breakfast to the homeless people on Saturday morning when we opened our building and had them come in for a free breakfast, but I didn't do it often. It just wasn't my thing. Now, I would oftentimes take linen home and wash the linen for the homeless people that slept in our church classrooms once a week for uh, a part of a program in Portland, but I wasn't down there serving meals to them on evenings. It's not my thing. If you're like me, you get comfortable and if you're like me, as you wander the foyer out there this morning, donut in hand, coffee in hand, you probably passed quickly by some tables, <laughs> like a priest or a Levite in the Good Samaritan story, because you're thinking, sewing ministry? That is so not me. And you see, the ministry fair today, and the story in Nehemiah chapter 3, it requires us to get beyond what I call the gift lens. Now, rightly so, this congregation spent a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts and trying to identify our gifts. And that was the first part of what happened today with this ministry fair. But the challenge is that sometimes the gift lens is a narrow one. And all we do is we tend to see our faith through the lens of our gift. Can I admit to you, I don't have the spiritual gift of picking up dead things. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. I don't have the spiritual gift of sewing, and I'm not going to do that. In fact, as I walked by the two women's ministries tables, they said, move along, Brian. Move along. <laughs> Keep moving, Brian. And I think sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I don't have the gift. And I don't. I can't lead worship the way that Kyle leads worship. I can't. I just can't. I wish I could pray like I've heard some of you in this congregation pray. But I can't. I just fumbled around. I, I just can't do it. And I think for many of us, we say, I don't have the gift of X or fill in the blank. And so we feel like we can't do that. And so while I'm all for identifying our spiritual gifts, and I think that's important, the gift lens, if we're not careful, can be a barrier. And I don't think that's what God intended. Can you imagine what would happen? The city walls are in disrepair, and Nehemiah says, okay. Roll up your sleeve. You priests over there, I want you to work over here by the sheep gate. Got it? And the priests say, uh, excuse me, we're priests. We don't have the spiritual gift of wall building. Well, if anybody had the gift of wall building, there probably weren't enough of them to actually build the walls. And so I imagine, not recorded in scripture, Nehemiah at some point had to say, we're all going to rebuild this wall. And if anybody said, yeah, that's not my gift. I think Nehemiah would have said, oh, it's not your gift, I get it. Go work over there and build a wall. Because I think what Nehemiah points us to is not a gift lens, but what I like to call a need lens. You see, all of those tables out there, everything that is located on that yellow sheet of paper that you might have picked up when you walked in, they all represent needs that have to be filled. The foster closet represents needs that people have, okay? The Christian Service Center, the Cross and Crown, everything out there in that foyer represents needs that people have. Women's ministries, sewing ministries, men's ministries, up and down the line, from one end of the foyer to the other, they all represent needs. And what Nehemiah chapter 3 teaches me is that I can't just see my faith through the lens of my gifts. Now, to be fair, I, I think I've got some gifts, but I think I also have to stretch 
Because the need lens doesn't start with, so what am I gifted at? The need lens starts with, what, what needs to be done? What, what needs to be done here? Oh, some kids need to be read to? It's not really my thing. I'm not really comfortable doing that. I don't want to read Go Dog Go to a bunch of kids. But the kids need to be read to. So here I am, Lord. Send me. Stretch. The question is not what you're good at. The question is not even what do you want to do. The question is I'm sympathetic to the idea that it's not your thing and it's not your gift, but, but surely, surely you can take a post-it note off of a bulletin board and bring some pajamas or some deodorant or something back for the closet, right? I mean, I get that sometimes it can be awkward to read to kids, but surely you can open up Go Dog Go and say, where are those dogs going? Look, they're... I love go-dog-go. But my point is, I think that this need lens opens up horizons, and in my life, I've been stretched and I've grown. So for 11 years, I, would, I was part of a rotation of guys that preached for a small 12-person Church of Christ in Goldendale, Washington. Goldendale is a very small town that could fit inside this auditorium. <laughs> And there are about 12 uh, of God's people that worship there every Sunday. So I, I showed up uh, the first Sunday to preach there, and they said, hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, we need you to preach and lead singing and offer a communion prayer and, oh, by the way, offer an opening prayer and a closing prayer, and can you lock the door when you're done? <laughs> and I said, well, hey, I'm not a song leader. And they said, we, have, we understand. Take out five songs. <laughs> and that's just how it was. And I had to stretch. And believe me, I cannot sing, people. I was working in one of the classrooms at Oklahoma Christian Friday, and I was kind of thought I was alone. The door was mostly closed, and I was just kind of singing. And one of my students heard me and sticks the head in the door, and he goes, Brian, are you okay? <laughs> I said, yeah, but I was embarrassed. I'm fine. I'm just going to get in this classroom ready for next week. And he's like, I thought a cat was being strangled. I wasn't sure. I'm like, get out of here, Elijah. Anyway, the point I'm making is this. The whole ministry fair is an opportunity that the shepherds and the leadership of this congregation offer you to stretch your faith, while at the same time meeting needs. And I guess I'm just trying to encourage us this morning to consider a different kind of ministry, because I think the attitude that everyone in Nehemiah 3 had was, we're all in this together, and at Oak Crest, we're all in this together. Because you might not know those kids that need to be read to. You might not know the stuff that the sewing ministry is spitting out. You might not ever do anything with men's ministry because you're not a man. Or like me, you're not going to do anything with the women of works because you're not a woman. Or you might not ever be a part of Cross and Crown. But somebody will be blessed by that. Because we're all in this together. This is our community. From Newcastle up to Edmond. South Oklahoma City, Moore, Norman, all of this metro area. This is our community. And so we're all in this together. And all those sign-up sheets out there, they just represent opportunities for you to stretch and grow and say we're all in this together.
Jesus understood that. And so in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 10, he gathers 72 people around him. And I don't know how many people were out there wandering around in the foyer, but there were at least 72, I would imagine, at one point or another. There were probably about 172 around the donut table. (laughs) But in Luke chapter 10, here's what we read. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And, And Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And that's what those tables are about. That's what the yellow sheet is about. That's what the ministry minute is about. It's why this congregation takes a few minutes of worship every single Sunday to have people parade up here and talk about the ministries. It's because this is a church family that really believes there's a need lens, not just a gift lens, There are needs that have to be met. And we're all in this together. And so because the harvest is plentiful, would you pray that the Lord will send forth workers to try something different in the way they enact their faith and in the way they serve their God. You don't have to make the big stretch. I ain't leading singing anytime soon. But you can make a little or a medium-sized stretch, sign some clipboards, and serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, it's easy to be a spectator. It's really easy to watch other people build walls. It's really easy to say, but uh, my service is over here. And so, Lord, inspired by Nehemiah, with the words of Jesus echoing in our minds, Our prayer this morning is that you would help us to stretch and to enact our faith and to serve in your kingdom, perhaps a bit differently than we have before. We await the blessings that will come. We await the needs that will be met. We await the stories we can tell about how you have been working in our life and in the lives of the people that we can bless. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to pick up the tools, roll up our sleeves, and build the walls that need to be built in your kingdom. Help us to serve the people that need us. Because, Lord, we're all in this together. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's no easy way to transition from all of that to the plea that we make each Sunday morning. Whenever God's people are gathered together, there are always needs. There are spiritual needs. And so that's why, in addition to setting aside each Sunday morning ministry minute, we also set a time an opportunity for people whose hearts have been stirred to respond to that. And so in a moment, Kyle is going to stand and lead us in a song that talks about preciousness, about our Lord. And as we sing that song, if there are spiritual needs we can meet, if we can baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins, if we can pray over your life, one of our shepherds will be here at the front of the room, another will be back in the foyer, there'll be some other folks back there you can talk with as well. If we can be a blessing to you, let us do that, because we're all in this together. Let's stand together as a church family and sing.